Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. The first thing you would probably notice about him was just how self-confident he was. It bordered on arrogance. He just seemed so sure of himself and the ideas that he was constantly talking about. But the other thing you would probably notice was just how affable and how friendly the guy was. He didn't seem to know a stranger, although as far as anyone could tell, he had never been in this town before. And he would talk to anyone about anything. And everyone seemed to listen to him, male, female, it didn't matter. There was no question about his intelligence. He knew a lot about a lot of things. He was smart and was able to talk to anybody about almost anything. He was equally comfortable with rich people, poor people, people who worked hard every day for a living, and people who could afford to hire work done. And he had this unique way of making you question what you thought were rock-solid beliefs. And the more he talked, the more you realized that you yourself had come around to the idea that what he talked about kind of made some sense. The things he talked about sounded a little like a conspiracy theory, but then again, not at all. Most conspiracy theories have an element of darkness or impending doom, and while there may have been a little bit of that in what he said... Mostly he talked about a new way of not only seeing the world, but living in the world. The most outrageous things that he talked about were the two things that you're not supposed to talk about in mainstream society, politics and religion. But he didn't care about not being in the mainstream. Like I said, he was self-confident to the point of being arrogant. And the idea that he presented was that the current government was not the be-all and end-all, and that the very thing that religion was seeking had already come and indeed was here right now. There was a Lord that was greater than Caesar, and the fulfillment of Scripture had come to earth, was put to death on a cross, and had risen from the dead, and now sits in heavenly power. It was a lot to take in but he had a way of skillfully answering every argument that was thrown against him. It was dangerous talk, but those who listened and took it to heart had a profound spiritual experience that the man, who you have now probably guessed was the Apostle Paul, had promised. Suddenly, there was a church, a group of believers in Jesus Christ that had been planted in Thessalonica. It wasn't easy, and it most likely caused a lot of difficulty. Thessalonica was a provincial capital of Rome, so the idea that someone was Lord other than Caesar was not looked upon favorably. Such a belief invited financial and even physical persecution. 
Plus, Thessalonica was a significant city, if not an overly large city. Lots of people from all over the region passed through, and they all had different religions, different beliefs, and so trying to figure out a brand new faith probably would have been just plain hard to do. And apart from all of those challenges, there must have been one more troubling problem. The problem was a question that all of us face at some point and probably several times during our Christian life. The question of, what now? What do we do with this faith that we have? They actually came up with a creative solution to the problem. And we read about it in one of the letters that Paul sent to his little group of believers in Thessalonica. This is from the first chapter of the first letter that we have to the Thessalonians. It starts with chapter, I'm sorry, with verse 2. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It can be hard for us to understand that there was a time when everything that we know, understand, and believe about Jesus was completely new to most of the world. We take for granted that, that people kind of already know how a believer in Christ should behave and how they should act, even if some people who claim to know are not themselves believers. It's just been a part of our culture and our society across generations for some 2,000 years. But there was a time when everything had to be learned mostly from scratch. And what is one of the main ways that people learn? Paul mentions it. We imitate those who know. The Thessalonian church imitated what Paul did and how Paul acted and imitated Christ as explained and modeled by Paul. And this idea of imitation, that made me curious. So I sat down and made a list of people that I knowingly imitate in various areas of my life and career. And it was quite an enlightening and and interesting experience, and it made me ask an unusual question. How much of me is me? For instance, when I stand here and deliver a sermon, you're not just hearing my voice. You're also hearing the voices of ministers that I've heard that were exceptional preachers. You're hearing Ken Edwards, 
Mark Flynn, Jeff Freiberger, and yes, Larry Trotter and Will Cantrell. As a choir conductor, I imitate Dr. David Stutzenberger. He was the head of choral activities at UT back in my music school days. His calm and laid-back method of rehearsing and teaching, well, he got great results out of his choirs. And so I try to imitate that today. I imitate the conducting style of Eric Nelson, a man that I have met only once for about 30 seconds at a choir director's convention. But his conducting style inspires amazing musical results from his choirs. And so I try to imitate it. When I need to offer more pastoral care to people, I imitate some of the things that I saw my father do as a funeral director. And I imitate Glenna Manning, who has deep pastoral gifts. And I've seen how she brings comfort and hope and support to people who need it in difficult times. As a performing musician, I imitate Paul Ross. Paul Ross was the leader of a band that I played with in Nashville. He held his band members accountable for mistakes that they made on stage, but he never mentioned those mistakes after the performance was over because the friendship with his bandmates was more important than what happened on stage. He was quick to hold accountable and quick to forget. When I work with younger musicians, when I do some coaching or some teaching, I imitate Stuart Ziff, a guitar player who took a very young Mike Stallings under his wing and taught him all kinds of pieces of musical wisdom. And I even find myself imitating people who never existed in real life. For instance, when I'm in the middle of a disagreement, I try to imitate one of the greatest conflict managers I've ever seen, Sheriff Andy Taylor from Mayberry. If someone seems a little too sure of themselves or are they trying to oversell me on something, I imitate Lieutenant Columbo and start asking questions. And if I find myself letting my emotions cloud my judgment or, or get in the way of good judgment, I do my best to imitate Mr. Spock from the Starship Enterprise. Now, you probably know very few of the people I mentioned, but it's not necessary that you do. If you know me, then you know a part of them because I try to imitate the things that I admire the most about them. And as we can tell from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, the imitation of him began to garner the attention of others throughout the region. People who had never met Paul, who may not have even yet met Christ, but they realized that there was something different and inherently good going on. Almost everything that we learn in life has a large component of imitation built into the process of learning. And the more we imitate what we want to learn to do, the more it becomes an unconscious habit. Until we're no longer imitating, we're just doing. And there's a general formula that seems to hold true in all cases. Imitation plus habituation equals manifestation. If we want to be healthier... We should imitate things that healthy people do until those things become habits. Then one day, almost without realizing it, we're the healthy people that we're trying to be. And the same formula works for spiritual practice as well. If you want to become excellent at prayer, find somebody who is excellent at prayer. Imitate what they do. And eventually... You yourself will become excellent at prayer. The same works for people with deep scriptural knowledge. What do those people do? What are their habits? 
Imitate those habits regularly and you will become that which you seek to be. But how do we avoid becoming an army of clones that just imitate each other? One of the tools that musicians learn early on is to read transcriptions of other players' music. And it's not that we want to play it exactly the same way. There is no reason to have a thousand piano players who sound just like Herbie Hancock because they can play a transcription of his solo. The intent is to learn the tools that he uses so that you can use them in your own music, in your way. I'm sure that Paul did not intend for the Thessalonians to be exact copies of him. Everything else we read of Paul indicates that he wanted people to mature and grow into the best disciples that they could be using the unique and varied gifts that the Holy Spirit had bestowed upon each of them. And this brings us to another formula. Manifestation plus spirit-inspired creativity equals your unique voice. And for some time now, we have been offering daily devotionals that are written by pastors, staff members, and members of our congregation. And one of the things that I hear most from readers and podcast listeners is that they're so impressed with the variety of not just voices, but the different thoughts and insights and ideas about a daily scripture passage that everyone taking part in the Grow Through the Bible plan is reading, and yet somehow there's a lot of differences. People tell me, and I experience the same thing, that a certain person's insight into a scripture passage made them think about a familiar passage in a completely new way. Or perhaps a devotional was offered in some mysterious way that addressed a life event that the listener was experiencing. And that writer, that particular writer, wrote something that they heard that resonated. The unique voice of that writer was what was needed, where perhaps another voice wouldn't have been heard as well. The Thessalonians weren't the only church that Paul founded in that region. There were churches in Ephesus and Philippi and other places. Yet there was something unique about the church in Thessalonica that made them stand out. They were somehow transformed from being mere imitators of Paul into a model of faithful discipleship that was recognized and celebrated throughout the region. It's not that the other churches didn't have excellent disciples, but the Thessalonians' unique gift to the region and to us is that they showed how initial imitation paired with God-given gifts and talents become an example for others to imitate, appreciate, and to seek out for themselves. And that's a crucial point to understand. There's another side to imitation. It is proper, it's absolutely necessary to imitate others, especially when we're learning something or we're seeking to achieve some goal. But that in itself can become self-serving or self-indulgent. The most important thing for us to accomplish is to imitate Christ to the point that we become people who are worthy of being imitated by others. That's the ultimate goal of disciples, to become as Christ-like as we can so that others see Christ in us and can imitate us in their own journey of discipleship. And we don't do this in, in a, a prideful way that says, hey, look at us, we have all the right answers. Do what we do and you'll be golden because you'll be just like us. Rather, we do it in the spirit of 
We have experienced something that is glorious and life-changing, and we want that for you too. When we imitate Christ with the purpose of showing others a path to him, we are expressing the sincerest form of faithfulness. We're being faithful to Christ's call to follow, imitate, learn, and then in turn teach others to follow, imitate, and learn until this beautiful cycle of discipleship takes root in our personal lives, in the life of Concord United, in our community, and who knows how far. We will become exactly what the choir sang about just a few minutes ago. We'll be the example of peace that those who seek peace will imitate. We'll be the beacons of hope that those in despair will want to model themselves after. We'll be examples of love that will cause those who hate to reevaluate their thoughts. Whenever I have the opportunity to stand in this pulpit, I like to leave you with something to take home, something to think about, but more importantly, something to do. I have three action items that I would like you to do today. I hope you'll take seriously. I hope you'll follow through on them. The first one is this. Take a moment right now. Think of some people who you imitate. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend or a co-worker who has some quality that you admire and would like to imitate. Maybe it's a teacher who, whose style meant something to you and that you want to imitate when you have the chance. And I know silence is awkward in a worship service, but we're just going to take a couple of seconds of silence so that you can think about the people who you imitate in your life. Second thing I would like to encourage you to do is related to the first. If possible, today or this week, get in touch with that person who you imitate. Let them know. So many of us don't realize the positive impact we have on those around us. It's good to hear those words of affirmation and appreciation from time to time. And if it uplifts us and encourages us, it will also do that for the people that we've imitated. Imagine how good it must have felt to the Thessalonians to be going about their business the best they could and then have Paul tell them they're impacting many people throughout their region. They may have had no idea of the influence they were having until Paul told them. If that person or those people that you imitate are no longer with us, then remember that we believe and proclaim that we are a part of an eternal communion with saints. So take a moment and give thanks to God for placing them in your life. And then maybe ask God to let them know on your behalf. And finally, there's one more thing that I hope you'll do. Take a few moments and consider what you do that is worthy of imitation. It's not arrogance. It's not a lack of modesty to recognize good qualities in yourself. Are you letting those things be shared? Are you actively searching for opportunities so that people can imitate you? You have a gift, a special attribute, an ability that you can share, that you can mentor someone on, that you can teach someone, particularly within your own family of faith. Ultimately, as disciples and people of God, we are imitators of Christ to the best of our ability. That's our call. That's the way we grow into a more mature and a richer faith. 
And there will be many times when we have no idea how to imitate Christ. The best we can do is to imitate what Christ might have done or probably would have done and just trust the Holy Spirit's guidance to help us discern the truth and lead us into a fuller knowledge. In all cases, the most faithful imitation that we can give is to imitate Christ in love. And maybe we don't always love well or even know how to love certain people. It can be tricky to learn, even trickier to do. But the best way to learn anything is to imitate those who know how to do it best. And no one has known how to love better than Jesus Christ. When we love those who are strangers, we imitate Christ. When we love those who have hurt us in some way, we imitate Christ. When we love those who we think are just plain wrong, we imitate Christ. When we love those who are different or who are in need, regardless of the circumstance that led them there, we imitate Christ. And when we love those who don't care about us or don't care about any of this Jesus stuff, we imitate Christ. And if we imitate Christ to that degree, we will be a people worthy of others' imitation of us. And we will be the light of the world that Christ calls us to be. Let's pray together. Gracious God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be your light. Thank you for those who have been light to us. Thank you for the opportunity to imitate them. And thank you that when we fail to be worthy of imitating, that you pick us up, that you dust us off, you help us to repent, and through your grace and mercy, you bring us back into relationship with you. Thank you most of all for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who we imitate to the best of our ability and who we share with the rest of the world. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.